Where do world-changing ideas get their start? At Intel, it starts with real solutions, and real solutions start with exceptional engineering. The quantum computing revolution, the next generation of AI experts, the renewable energy grid, liquid cooling data centers, early diagnosis for cancer, water restoration, and even farmland protection. The examples are countless. The impacts are endless, but the foundation is always the same. It starts with Intel. Join us in redefining what's achievable through the power of AI. Learn more at intel.com slash stories. I know I need to get ready for work, but I'm just so, so tired. Maybe I can skip work to take a nap just this once. What's that? Oh, my depression monitor is detecting early signs of a depressive state. I thought I was just tired, but this might be a bigger issue. Let me set an appointment with my therapist. Hey there, I'm Graham Class, and this is Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. The show is dedicated to highlighting the way technology is revolutionizing the way we live, work, and move. In every episode, we'll connect with innovators in areas like artificial intelligence to better understand the human-centered technology they've developed. Mental healthcare solutions remain underinvested in many communities around the world, yet so many suffer from issues that they don't even know they have. A lot of these conversations around healthcare hinge on making therapy more accessible to those in need. However, it can be difficult to determine that one is experiencing depression or mental health crisis. Artificial intelligence is at the forefront of many different advancements in healthcare, but today we are going to dive into how it is working to make mental healthcare more accessible to everyone. In order to do that, I have to introduce you to a special guest. Joining me now is Tina Sahu. Tina Sahu was a high school student when she started exploring coding and engineering with AI. She never considered herself to be overly interested in technology to start. However, she took her natural curiosity and eventually was invited to be a part of Intel's AI for Youth pilot program, where she developed a tool that uses AI to detect and predict patterns of depression with around 80% accuracy. Since then, she has been awarded the Calm Trust Fellowship for Women. She currently attends the Ayabata College at the University of Delhi, where she's completing a bachelor's in computer science and exploring more opportunities to use AI as a tool for mental health and more. Welcome to the show, Tina. Hi, thank you for inviting me to the show. And I'm feeling more than privileged to be a part of this podcast. So namaste to everyone. I'm really interested in your story of how you got into the STEM field. What prompted your interest in that field and also in AI? To begin with, till my 10th class, I was a student or a person who was always against technology. Like I always found, in fact, that the negative impacts that technology brings and whatever ethical concerns are there, they cannot be solved and they are simply too much to be on the side of technology. But I remember in 2019, the AI for Youth program was launched and it was launched in our school, which is Salwan Girls Senior Secondary School. So when I participated in that program, I got to know what 
artificial intelligence is how many astonishing and astounding possibilities ai can unlock and has already unlocked and therefore this program pivoted my you know journey my career my professional journey and my academic journey from being a non tech student to becoming a tech student and finally pursuing computer science as my graduation okay was there a particular topic or person that really did spark that interest what was the particular topic that actually got you really fired up So in my school there were two teachers who actually you know molded my thinking and they actually infused this critical thinking aspect in me and they opened me to the world of possibilities that science that technology and engineering offers and I would like to take their name as well as a you know token of respect so it's Vandana ma'am and Surbhi ma'am they empowered me they encouraged me to think beyond what I see and that led you to the Intel's AI for Youth program What sort of projects have you worked on or are you working on right now? Since I participated in this program, I built Happiness Guru, which is a model that predicts depression. Apart from that, I was also a part of Atal Tinkering Labs through the ETL lab of our school. I basically got to know about Intel's AI for Youth program only and uh, in there itself I built a few projects and one of them was Happiness Guru. And with the Happiness Guru, is that related to the depression detection research you've been doing what kind of prompted you to look in that direction in the field of of depression and then using technology because generally speaking we don't associate technology with treating depression or even detecting depression so what was the spark for you there so um while i was in this program i was in class 10 and my class 10 results were out and they were not as much as i expected and i went into a phase of depression because i associated my self worth with the marks i scored so my own personal experience of dealing with depression and then at that time you know that suicide rates were very alarming among the youth especially aged between 15 to 29 and we found that the driving forces behind you know these when these suicides were you know peer pressure overburdening academics financial stress and too much expectations that we have from youth you know especially if you talk about teenage and someone who is in between 18 to 25 So on researching we found that these suicide rates are very alarming they are very distressing and these are the leading cause of the depression or stress and thereby we thought that we must come up with some solution that can basically help us predict which person is going through depression and that too in a very human friendly manner not making someone uncomfortable with the kind of procedures or with the kind of system we have so these were the i would say the enablers that led our team building this solution And in terms of the Happiness Guru app, can you just explain how it actually works, you know, to try and detect the early signs of of depression? First of all, it's a web-based application. While building this project, the cue that we took, you know, to build the entire model was that after our research, we got to know that a person's vocabulary can be a mirror into their mental state. And taking this as the cue, we build this project which tries to analyze the emotional quotient of a person of a user through their facial expression and then their textual responses that the user is going to provide to the AI machine. So the working of the project is divided into three steps. The first step is emotional. motion detection stage and uh, in this stage you basically need to stand in front of your laptop or whatever device you are using this web application on and then it detects your current mood whether you are happy or sad you are neutral angry then the next step is that user is asked to answer nine questions and uh, 
there's a scale of relevance and then they need to select how much relevant or how much they are able to relate this to the situation then after these two steps a threshold score is generated which gives the initial lead if the person is stressed or not and if the score is below the threshold that we have set the person is predicted as happy while in the other case user is taken to the third step which is the final step and this step consists of four descriptive questions which he or she can use as a platform to vent out all his or her feelings and thoughts so whatever answers user will give to these four descriptive questions these answers will be used as a uh, you know basis of classification then the machine will predict whether the user is depressed or not so this ai machine um, whatever you know input we are giving in this step there is a model namely svm which is support vector machine it's a non contextual classification model it is basically used to classify things and then we are using this model on the kind of you know language or keywords that are used in the answers and then accordingly the results are given out that the whether the person is stressed or not and if the person is stressed uh, automatically the person is consulted to the concerned authorities or council otherwise the person is predicted as happy or not stressed detecting and treating mental health is something with which many societies around the world struggle according to the world health organization approximately 280 million people in the world suffer from depression and more than 300 million are living with anxiety many people with these mental health conditions exhibit some symptoms as children or young adults But based on guidance from the US National Institute of Mental Health, depression can only be diagnosed once an individual exhibits the five major symptoms of depression every day, all day, for a minimum of 2 weeks. Imagine how we could help people earlier if we were able to identify depression with the help of AI tools like the Happiness Guru model. How does one actually create that model? What data is needed to train that model so that it can get that output so basically whenever we build any project we were taught this thing in the program itself that there is a whole project cycle that needs to be taken into you know account while we are building any project so the first step that comes into the ai project cycle is problem scoping so we have problem statements we have our stakeholders and we have our ideal solution as well now comes data acquisition so basically to make this project work the way it is working right now data was collected you know anonymously through offline and online surveys and across five different schools across india So during these surveys we briefed students in the school what the survey is about and then they were asked to fill out that form which contained descriptive questions now these descriptive questions that we selected these were validated by a team of psychiatrists and counselors and then with the help of the survey process we were able to develop an authentic dataset of 700 plus entries where the students basically wrote whatever they felt during that time and you know went out their thoughts in that survey the responses were labeled on the on the scale of 8 to d with a being least severe like uh, perfectly healthy mentally and to d being needing immediate support from professionals and family and this was done with the help of a school counselor ishita nantara so she helped us in you know labeling these responses and then this data was used to train that svm model that i was talking about that is a part of step 3 so we need to convert this offline data into a digitized format because that's how model gets trained so we did that we like started classifying and then we trained the svm model 
Apart from that, there's one more thing that has went into this. The step one which I talked about is about, you know, recognizing whatever current emotion the user has, whatever their emotion is currently while they're using. So this is done with the help of a library, uh, basically fastai.vision. So fastai.vision is a library that is used for computer vision task. And then we have trained this module using a data set. So this data set consisted of 2000 rows, I would say, which consisted of facial expressions of different people. Like there were videos and images of people from different uh, uh, genders and heritages of different backgrounds. And then they were classified as happy, sad and neutral to train our uh, module which was fastai.vision. What Tina is describing in her design philosophy is very interesting because in a way it mirrors processes used by psychiatrists and counsellors to identify depression in young people at schools. However, in her system, the effectiveness is amplified. Oftentimes, people experiencing depression are not able to recognise the symptoms in themselves and for young people in particular, Having access to a professional who could observe and identify the signs is not guaranteed. For cultural, social and economic reasons, mental health is largely ignored. I can see the benefit of an automated system being used to identify it and how that can help those with reservations around mental health care take that crucial first step. You're listening to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. We'll be right back. Where do world-changing ideas get their start? At Intel, it starts with real solutions. And real solutions start with exceptional engineering. Empowering those with disabilities starts with assistive AI. And stopping crop loss from infestation starts with thermal imaging and open technology. While artificial intelligence that predicts depression starts with educational programs like Intel's AI for Youth. And that's just the start. The quantum computing revolution the next generation of AI experts, the renewable energy grid, liquid cooling data centers, radiation exposure prevention in space, water restoration, and early cancer detection. The examples are countless. The impacts are endless. But the foundation is always the same. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com forward slash stories. Welcome back to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. I'm here now with Tina Sao. So in terms of your research or next phase, do you think these sorts uh, of wearable devices or things that can detect people's emotions, do you see a future where that could be a, a possibility where we could get in early in terms of detecting depression? Yes, there can be. In fact, there's been a rise in it lately. Like I've been following up the news around this and I've got to know that uh, there was some institute in New York itself which conducted a study which basically built a machine learning model that took the data of thousands of users and then this model was able to tell whether a person was mentally healthy or not. So we need to understand how this works first of all. Like we are basically collecting data points in terms of different variables. And these variables are like, you know, what are our pulse rate? What is our heartbeat? And I mean, different things that can be measured by these devices, by these variables to find the relation between someone's mental health and whatever data points we are collecting. So 
there is a possibility that in the coming year we can lead mental health care services apart from this a similar thing that struck to me right now is that brain computer interface i mean well brain computer interface is a, a machine that uh, actually helps us to control a device a machine using our brain so if something of that sort can be infused with machine learning and then if we can uh, build some solution that is oriented towards solving mental health problems that exist that is oriented towards providing more healthcare services like those are accessible enough and affordable as well so i think majority of problems can be solved in this arena tina mentioning bci or brain computer interface reminds me of the conversation in episode 3 with jagadish and lama We tend to think of BCI as human brains controlling the function of a machine, like moving a mouse cursor or controlling a robotic limb. However, Tina imagines a world where our brains can simply inform machines on how to service us. It is not so much that you would need to even think about being helped, but the machine learning process would allow a tool to remind you of a service you need. It's almost like having a second brain. I can't wait to see all of the medical applications this opens up to the world. Particularly through the pandemic and post-pandemic, there was a rise in mental health issues which needed expert care. Now, do you think that AI can play a role in actually providing therapy for people with mental health concerns? I recently read an article in Time magazine about Wobot, which is a AI personal therapist. I'd like to get your thoughts as to whether they could actually provide useful advice for people to help manage their depression and mental health issues. So when we think of mental health care, no, the cornerstone of this is communication. It's not depending on the procedures but more on the communication. Like if we know that therapist and the patient that there should be a strong relationship between them the relationship should be good enough so that the patient can communicate with their therapist and then the problem can be solved whatever problem the patient is going through so like if we talk about uh, therapist in terms of ai like so there are chatbots which are coming up like wobot and upar so these chatbots are increasingly being used to offer advice and uh, a line of communication for mental health patients during their treatment so they can also help with coping up with symptoms as well as they can look out for keywords that could trigger a possible help that patient needs so chat gpt can be used like a therapist like there have been certain use cases like i've been reading on reddit and there have been people who have been like sharing their stories around how they use chat gpt as a therapist wow. so when we see that chatbot can be used as a therapist it is like uh, we are giving them some inputs and they are basically doing sentiment analysis on the basis of textual responses that we are giving to them and then they are basically modifying their answers to make it more human like and that's how they can work as ai therapist but there are concerns around it as well like the first thing that comes up with is reliability how much accurate of the solution that chatbot is providing us or any tool that we have built as a form of therapist is providing us so first is reliability and then comes accountability what if you know something wrong happens who's responsible for all of this but apart from this the concern that always struck me is that these are privately funded apps like these are the apps that have been used at commercial level i mean there are certain subscription uh, charges that need to be paid to use these apps so 
I've always had this view that once we start commercializing and start making out profits from healthcare services, then things turn problematic, you know. And when something as vulnerable and as volatile as mental health is involved, I think we must be very much cautious. We must be very much vigilant about the kind of apps we are using and the kind of tools that are coming in in terms of mental healthcare services. And that leads me to. If you are going to be using these sorts of chatbots like ChatGPT, as you mentioned, to make sure that you're well aware of who's got your data, what the privacy concerns may be, and how you can make an informed decision. I'd like to get your thoughts around that, particularly around privacy and data security. And maybe you could start with how you tackled it with your app. This is the one of the main concerns that come up. Like you also mentioned that uh, whenever we are using such apps, we need to be aware that what kind of data we are feeding into it and uh, what kind of permissions we are giving to such a tool. But someone who is going through a mental health problem, mental illness, I mean, we cannot say that the person is uh, healthy enough uh, or stable enough to be able to make a decision on this. And therefore, privacy concerns will come later in the stage. But the first thing is that are we able to make the patients familiarize with the kind of data they are feeding into the apps and what are the consequences or ramifications that this data can lead to. Yeah, because uh, I actually heard some stories around people using these chatbots as therapy and the concept of this transference. So they're actually falling in love (laughs) with the bots. There's a similar experience with psychologists where patients fall in love with the therapist. So that's just another potential challenge that we all have to come to deal with if you're going to start using these things. Yeah, there are virtual entities that are coming into the scenario. Like We are able to see them and they've been living their own life. People are becoming so comfortable with chatbots now because definitely there's a lack of communication that is happening. And ever since the pandemic has struck, this communication gap has increased. It has profoundly increased. So people are finding way to escape this. And then these AI therapists come as a rescue and therefore people use it blindly without being enough aware about what kind of data they are feeding it and what kind of algorithms these applications are using. Because we know that these algorithms may not be explainable. They're not transparent. So we have to be aware about this as well. And literacy and education is needed in these aspects as well. Yeah, just on that, you talked about explainability and transparency. Do you want to just explain to the audience who may be not so familiar with those terms when it comes to AI models, what that actually means? Transparency. Okay, so there's a term that goes with algorithms and that's black box. So algorithms are like black box. We know what is going out, but you do not know how all of this is functioning, what is actually into the algorithm and what is the procedure and how on what basis they are doing everything. Transparency is related to the kind of data we are feeding it and the way we are using it and how algorithm is working to know this. And explainability means that any user, because there are two categories of population who are associated with uh, any AI system. The first one are users and the second one are the developers and stakeholders. So stakeholders must know that what kind of algorithm it is and there should be transparency in it. But when it comes to user, AI systems and those algorithms must be explainable enough. I mean, users are able to understand in a very human-like language that what uh, this algorithm is doing. That's really good. and. As AI emerges as this tool to help people struggling with their mental health, I'd like a few more comments just around how you see it working in tandem with the medical community to better serve their patients and their communities. 
Do you have any thoughts on how you know this tool can actually be used together rather than a replacement? Yeah, basically, we have always think that AI is a disruptor. We have always thought of this, be it any technology that comes. But I've always believed that they are over here to augment uh, our capabilities and to supplement uh, whatever, you know, roles are there. So I'm from India. And the very first thing that I mean, I have to cover up is that uh, we need to educate people around mental health because in India, the most uh, instrumental impediment in terms of mental health is lack of awareness and education. People do not know what exactly depression is, what exactly anxiety and stress is. They use it in a very casual way. And to be very honest, mental health is something which is stigmatized in India. So, you know, if someone is suffering from mental health issue, they are often labeled as lunatics or crazy or possessed. So we need to educate people around this, first of all. So I believe... My project, it's still, it's working. I'm looking forward to deploying it into as many schools as I can because we know that any algorithm, the more data we feed into it, the more accurate it becomes. Its current accuracy is uh, 77 to 80%. So we need to increase that accuracy first of all. And then we have to take care of the data. We need to have some regulations. We have to have some norms and rules. We have to inform our users also that the data that we are taking from them is in safe hands. Secondly, uh, I believe I will be changing the working of this project. Currently, it works on, you know, facial recognition on current mood and that can easily be fabricated. I mean, something that is not reliable, that is not a thing that should be taken into account while you are assessing someone's mental health. So I think I need to eliminate this step and replace it with something better. It could possibly be like, a I find a BCI, like brain computer interface, this technology, I find it very interesting. So I can possibly couple it with this and then I can, you know, find some solution. Tina's recognition of the unsustainability of facial recognition is very valuable. My mother always said the eyes are the windows to the soul. But Tina understands that who we are has a lot more nuance to it. This is so important to how machine learning develops to become more inclusive. One of the biggest concerns with AI is a distrust of the machine's ability to understand humanity. What is great about hearing Tina speak is that her work is rooted in finding multiple ways to understand humans. This gives me a lot of hope for what AI can be when we have people like Tina behind its development. Just to circle back right at the start, we talked about the start of your story and getting inspired by the AI youth program run by Intel. I'd like to get a sense of, in terms of your peer group, how much interest is there in AI development and STEM I guess, in your cohort of friends and peers, is it something they're interested in? And do you see a trend growing or are there still more challenges for people to take up that sort of role in their career? Whatever peer groups I have, they all of them are quite interested in data science and machine learning. We know that data is the new oil. So like there are huge number of job roles that have been coming up. And since many of my friends and acquaintances, we are like financially weak. So all of us look towards earning some skill set and becoming job ready, increasing our employability rather than, you know, we do not focus on taking this up on a longer run. So, I mean, there's a lack in this because uh, we know that machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep learning and whatever technologies that are coming up, they hold the potential to change, to transform the landscape of every industry. So if we take it up as a profession, then we need to stay in it for a long run. But there are multitude of impediments to it. So the very first one is like I being a girl. So 
in india like especially from the place i belong to girls are usually not encouraged to take up stem fields so we need to overcome that first of all and then once we become employable once we become like financially stable independent i mean then talking on a personal level i can then you know work in this field and then i can possibly work in somewhere around mental health and uh, machine learning and therefore in the coming future i plan to you know launch a program to say which is shakti in stem so shakti is a hindi word and in literal meaning it means feminine energy apart from this it also has a different meaning like in india shakti is used to represent strong and resilient young girls and women so i would want to launch this program shakti in stem which uh, aims at educating young girls who are you know based in rural areas who hail from financially weaker and economically weaker and socially backward uh, strata of the society and to educate them and to fuel their aspirations to enter into stem careers yeah that's awesome because i mean i have two daughters and i'm really encouraging them to get into the stem side of things and you know anything to help anyone get into coding and developing and actually creating something from new is quite a exciting feeling so thanks tina for joining us today i really enjoyed that and i learned quite a lot from this thank you thank you Thank you to my guest Tina Sahu for joining me on this episode of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. This episode brilliantly highlighted the potential of AI in supporting those facing mental health challenges. I firmly believe that within the next decade, we'll witness a surge in AI-powered therapeutic tools designed especially for the younger generation navigating life's hurdles. One heartening development is society's evolving recognition of mental health as a genuine concern. I remember the 90s as a fresh-faced teenager. It was a time when such discussions were almost taboo and laden with stigma. Yet there's a pressing issue, the shortage of well-trained mental health professionals to cater to the increasing demand. AI and tech can serve as invaluable aids for these professionals, ultimately benefiting our community at large. Tina's transition from technology skeptic to its ardent supporter was a highlight for me. As a father of three, I'm hopeful not just about the job prospects AI will offer them, but also the tech-savvy lives they will lead, with AI becoming second nature to them. Observing the innovative solutions emerging from young minds like Tina's, I'm convinced we're on the cusp of discovering awesome new technologies, apps, and remedies for many of life's challenges. Please join us on Tuesday, November 28th for the next two episodes of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. We'll be sharing two special episodes exploring the future of transportation and how technology like AI has already created modern day mobility marvels like flying cars and autonomous shuttles. Technically Speaking was produced by Ruby Studios from iHeartRadio in partnership with Intel and hosted by me, Graham Class. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. Our EP of post-production is James Foster. And our supervising producer is Nakia Swinton. This episode was edited by Ciara Spreen and written and produced by Tyree Rush. Where do world-changing ideas get their start? At Intel, it starts with real solutions. And real solutions start with exceptional engineering. The quantum computing revolution 
the next generation of AI experts, the renewable energy grid, liquid cooling data centers, early diagnosis for cancer, water restoration, and even farmland protection. The examples are countless. The impacts are endless, but the foundation is always the same. It starts with Intel. Join us in redefining what's achievable through the power of AI. Learn more at intel.com stories.